Welcome to Math Chat. My name is Emily Ackman. I am here with Mary Bridget Burns, and we are here to chat with you about math. This Math Chat podcast is to support your study of the book, Visible Learning in Mathematics. Uh, it is a joint project of the American Institutes for Research and the Rhode Island Math Project. Sounds great. Welcome, everyone. This is Mary Bridget Burns. Hi, Mary. Uh, today, we are here to talk about Chapter 2, Making Learning Visible Starts with Teacher Clarity. Yes, this is a really interesting chapter, so I am excited to talk about it. Me too. Um, so, and I think, you know, it speaks to me a lot because of my training as a Montessori teacher. I think it, it talks a lot about sort of students driving their own instruction and the value in that. Mm -hmm. um, and it does take a lot of work on behalf of the teacher. I will not, you know, minimize that. Um, but it also creates much more, much stronger learning, uh, much greater retention. And in the end, I found it to be, I find work like this to be worthwhile because uh, this, when the students are motivated themselves, it's not you as the teacher trying to push them to motivate. And um, mm -hmm. when it comes to math, and especially, you know, and as it goes up in grades and things get challenging, um, that motivation piece is really key to, to keeping students going. I think that's absolutely true. Yes. And I think research has shown that this is particularly true in science and math. Mm -hmm. It's a leaky pipeline. And that starts with the ages of the students that we're, we're working with that you all, our listeners are working with that we really need them to find a passion and interest in mathematics and science. And maybe they won't all become mathematicians and scientists, but uh, it'd be great if many of them did. Uh, and we have to make sure that we're just not plowing through the curriculum, but that we are doing the things that will really help them become the best students they can be. Couldn't agree more. Um, so to start, I just wanted to talk about, you know, the chapter is called Making Learning Visible Starts with Teacher Clarity. So what is teacher clarity? Um, and the very first thing they talk about with teacher clarity is setting a learning intention. And they call learning intentions are they're describing what the teachers want the student to learn so it's starting with the goal in mind um, as you build out your lesson plan as you think about how you want to teach what you want to teach really what is the goal of what you want your students to know by the end and then you work backwards um, that's right and if I may Emily yeah. I think this is when I first read this I, I underlined it and I wrote notes on the side and arrows because to me, my training, uh, I got my master's in teaching at a very good institution. I thought I was really well trained and I, I still believe that. But the way we thought about it, the way we were trained to think about it, maybe some of our listeners are trained similarly that, you know, reverse planning or backwards planning is very good. Be prepared to, to think on your feet that your lessons may fall apart, even though it's beautifully planned, but think on your feet. And I think what's different with learning, or excuse me, teacher clarity, mm -hmm. is I was not trained to think about the end goal in mind. I was trained to make sure I was covering the standards. Mm -hmm. I was trained to make sure that I could differentiate with my students. I was trained to think about preparing them 
you know, planning vertically, preparing them for the next grade. I was not trained to think about teaching them how to think or teaching them understanding big concepts, like learning for life. Mm -hmm. And I really wish I had been because it's a really a different mindset when it comes to planning lessons and thinking about how you want your students to learn. Yeah, I completely agree. The, the, as a brief aside, the school that I taught at in New York, um, one of the things we did was across grade level, uh, when, when we were working on a unit, everything was incorporated with that unit and uh, all teachers got involved. So an example was uh, at one point, the fourth grade was working on, they were studying Native Americans. And so the phys ed teachers incorporated, that's when they did their lacrosse unit. And they talked about the mm. history of Native Americans and, it, you know, it was hit at from a social studies, from uh, talking about math, like talking about it was different ways of thinking about culture and understanding. And, you know, uh, I but to that point, it was very difficult because you could be in a curriculum meeting and, you know, if the art teacher was holding up your literacy unit that you're trying to get going, it could get very frustrating. Uh, but mm -hmm. it, in the mm -hmm. end, it made for a really like solid curriculum, you know, and the students got um, a lot. It was, it was a really interesting learning experience for me as an educator. I bet it was. I yes. bet it was. And I bet the students got a lot out of that, that it wasn't that the concepts weren't limited to just your classroom, that, they began to see things more holistically, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah, and that was I would, yeah. And I would hope that when thinking about our listeners, that there's a way to bring math across the, the content areas mm -hmm. to bring math across their daily experience. And so often in my work, working with sites or when I was teaching uh, myself, we think in terms of like the fourth grade team mm -hmm. or the fifth grade team or what have you, they didn't often get a chance to work together. And it would be so, so valuable if you could work with across teams, across grade levels so that, you know, if your fifth grade is in a different building, the fifth grade teachers can meet with all the fourth grade teachers or back in the elementary schools and say, okay, when I receive your students, they are not solid on place value. Could you please tell me when you're covering place value, are you thinking about the ultimate goal of children understanding how numbers associate together? I think those kinds of conversations are important. And that goes to the learning intentions that they're talking about in this chapter. It does. And what success means. Yeah. And I think that goes to on uh, slides five and six in the, in the PowerPoint, you know, it, talk, it touches on, language learning intentions for math and social learning intentions also for math. And I think to your point, that is not something that is often associated with, with math learning, so a social mm -hmm. aspect and a linguistic aspect, but you know, you need to learn and be comfortable with the language of math in order mm -hmm. to really uh, succeed you know you can't worksheets aren't going to get you there right right and uh, our students 
need to be fluent in mathematics as much as they are fluent in literacy, that you can have automaticity and fluency in math in the same way that we push it in our literacy learning at this age group. Mm -hmm. And uh, that also goes, again, I think, to teacher clarity, because we as teachers typically understand what we mean when we say fluency in the context of reading. Mm -hmm. But do we understand what it means when it comes to the context of math? I think we do. I think our educators that we work with in this project do, but it's definitely a big question and something to ponder and really reflect on. Yeah. Well, and I think that goes to, you know, part of teacher clarity, it's setting these learning intentions, but also figuring out what your success criteria are and then Mm -hmm. making sure that at some point the students know it. You know, I think there are you know, the, the term objectives, like having your objectives posted are, is mm-hmm. common now and you know success criteria can be objectives but it they're not one in the same and right um you know success criteria i'm taking this from the book are specific concrete measurable statements that describe what success looks like when the learning goal is reached um and they're very specific uh hattie fisher and frey that you don't have to let your students know up front what your success criteria are if you think that, you know, that's not something that needs to be revealed right away. But at some point, they need to be aware of what the success criteria are. And mm-hmm. so then they can start measuring themselves against it. Agreed. And and children can do this. Mm-hmm. Children can do this in a way that is not going to hurt their motivation. Mm-hmm not going to hurt their interest in math. It can be something that really raises their interest uh, and they feel loved and welcome into the content. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are two videos that I've watched for this chapter, Emily, that I think I encourage our listeners to watch too. I mean, there's so many good resources that go with this book. Yes. And uh, the publishers and the authors have done a good job of bringing teacher voice and student voice into this as well. So Uh, There are QR links on page 41 of the book, and you've included them in the slides Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, there are other ways to access them. But I encourage our listeners, if they would like to pause now in our podcast, go watch those videos and come back uh, because they're short, but they will really highlight what we're getting at, that there are ways to think about your lessons before you even get into the classroom so that you're really strategic and effective in helping students reach whatever that goal is that you're trying to reach with them. And it's not to get to page 42 in the book, right? In the curriculum and finish section 5.1. It is really to make sure they understand the content well. Yes. And they can uh, translate it. Yes. Um, So, you know, to add on to this idea of success criteria, once you have watched those videos, which is video 2.1 and 2.2, I would encourage moving to slide seven, where, you know, a little bit of what we talked about is students, you know, again, that self-advocacy, self-efficacy, students Mm -hmm. self-reported grades or expectations. I think you know, a traditionally trained teacher, when you hear student self-reported grades, you think, well, Mm -hmm. a kid's going to cheat on that. And that's Mm -hmm. not, you know, that's not tip. like, 
I think you'd be surprised uh, if you haven't when you give children access to their own knowledge, to where their growth areas are, um, how they will engage with it. But I would also encourage you to look at the success criteria rubric, uh, which is figure 2.6 from the book on slide Mm -hmm. nine. Um, You can use a rubric. uh, And so, you know, you can't, a kid can't cheat, for lack of a better way of putting it. You know, Mm -hmm. they've either Mm -hmm. done something thoroughly, done something okay, you know, they've either done it, mastered it, or they haven't. Um, and, and if you, if I may mm-hmm. jump in, don't you think that's a great life skill too, mm-hmm. that at some point in their work, I mean, one day they will have a job or maybe a volunteer opportunity and they have to do a task and they'll know if they've done it well or not, but learning how to reflect so that you can do better next time is, is a skill that we could be incorporating into all of our teaching. Uh, we just make room for it. And so a rubric is such a powerful way to get kids to think about things meaningfully because if I'm looking at this great figure two 2.6 rubric I mean of course if you get zeros that's very clear but it's possible <laughs> right it's possible that you could get a four on conceptual understanding but you can't explain it terribly well mm-hmm. or maybe you understand it pretty well but you don't have the terms and notations down just yet like there it is possible yeah. to be a mixture in this and there's a lot of opportunity to learn after doing this rubric. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree that, you know, you can have the, you know, a four in the conceptual understanding and maybe even a two on the terms and notations. I'm just speaking to myself as a learner. Uh, yes. You can grasp yes. something without having the the technical piece of it down. And I, you know, I think, but in order to do it all successfully, you need to be doing all of it well. Uh, I did want to point yeah. out that, you know, back to, I think the previous chapter on the preface, we, we talked about effect size and yes, uh, we will be talking about effect size throughout the rest of this book. And as we have said before on page 235 begins appendix A, which talks about mm-hmm. uh, effect sizes and effective practices. And this self-reported grades are really students setting their own expectations and working to achieve them has an effect size of 1.44. And I want to put that in perspective that 0.4, according to uh, the author's criteria, is one year of learning. Mm -hmm. So that is like more than three years Mm -hmm. um, based on, you know, like the, the power. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that if you do this, that your typical student is gonna, your typical second grader is all of a sudden going to have a fifth graders understanding. Right. But I'm like, the effect of it is incredibly powerful um, of ownership and that efficacy piece of it. Yes. And if we think about this in terms of students who are differently abled mm-hmm. or, or approaching this in a different way than the typical, typically developing student. Mm-hmm. And I'm speaking not just about special education students, but ELLs or students who've had disrupted education, say because of a global pandemic, <laughs> that um, we need to give them the opportunity to say, where do you think you are? Mm-hmm. How do you think you did? 
let's talk about that because, uh, you know, I think I've maybe mentioned if I haven't, I've got three children of my own. I've got a bunch of nieces and nephews from 18 months to 18 years. There are lots of Burnses running around and <laughs> they have all gone through this experience of the last year or so in different ways. And it has impacted their educations. In some ways, I think they've done great. In some ways, they are definitely behind where they would have been. And getting them to talk about that or to reflect on how did you do on this assignment, I think could be a really powerful way for them to not to set their expectations the way that they can meet it. Does that make sense, Emily? That mm -hmm. if uh, they expect to get 100% on everything and they don't, it may not be something they need to internalize, but rather an opportunity to say, what did I do well? What could I do better next time? Yes. And I think that's, you know, I like that because it, you know, there's it, grades don't become an absolute. They don't become a, a synonym for good or bad. Um, right. I'm not a fan of the term failure of a course, um, yeah. you know, especially in younger grades. Like, you know, it's, yeah, I think there's a lot there. Um, yes. So I think we've talked about success criteria on page. Um, don't remember. Uh, there we go. On page 57 is a video 2.3. Yes. So that's the QR code. Yep. But you've got it here in, um, in our slide as well. Correct. Slide seven. So that's another one that it's, these are really very useful tools. Mm -hmm. So I hope that our listeners will, um, after listening to us and sharing our, their thoughts on Padlet, we'll take a few minutes to watch that video uh, because it will bring it to life in a really meaningful way. Particularly, I think, Emily, when it comes to thinking about assessments. Yep. Um, do you want to continue to talk about your thoughts around assessment? Sure. Yeah, because assessment, so as we are recording this, dear listeners, there is a debate in many places about standardized testing mm -hmm. and whether our children, literally my babies, will start doing standardized state mandated testing in a few weeks. And it's causing a lot of consternation. Mm -hmm. Assessment itself is not necessarily, I'm, as an educator, as a parent, as an advocate for education, I'm not against assessment, but how it's being used, mm -hmm. right? That's what matters. And so on page 66 of the book, they start talking. It's a very short section. As I have to say, if I have a critique of the book, it's like, well, a page and a half for assessments is kind of short. For, but okay, it is what it is. Um, it could be its own book. So maybe they had to approach it that way. But assessment can be a tool to give us information. It can be very useful if done well. Uh, and that's where rubrics come into mind, that they can be done in a way that helps everybody do better. So politics aside, assessment does not necessarily need to cause anxiety. It can be useful for students and teachers. And so one of the first things I say that I thought was really powerful, Emily, was the, the needs of students need to be met and just not in the education doesn't, or the content doesn't just need to be covered, mm -hmm. right? It's gotta be useful for them. You need to be able to determine if students have a gap in their knowledge or not, and where that gap is and to what extent, how deep is that gap? And so pre-assessments, getting that baseline should be essential and not meant to be punitive, mm -hmm. but really as a tool to get information, to determine what is known. And 
we've seen in our sites, you know, sometimes in a formative way, you can use things like number talks or other small exercises just to get a sense, just like a, like a dipstick. Like, is this actually working? Does this child have a sense of what I'm even talking about? Not to, again, punish or, or judge, but just to understand what's going on in their, their heads. Yeah, um, I like mm-hmm. the, there's a quote in the book on page 66, which in talking about sort of pre and post assessments, pre assessments, it says mm-hmm. teachers need to determine the gap between students current level of performance or understanding and the expected level of mastery. Yes. I think it's, that's very simply stated. Like I, that's exactly what you're talking about. And it, it's meant to be a way to gain information, not to rate or grade or of course it, that that is part of our experience we g- give grades we have to give tests yes but i think using this when you're thinking about it in the context of teacher clarity when you are thinking about the end goal mm-hmm. you can use this as a way to make sure you are moving in that right direction couldn't agree more and there is also the final video of the chapter, mm-hmm. uh, video 2.4, the QR codes on page 66, mm-hmm. continual assessment for daily planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, assessment is ongoing and it's not just end of course, pass or fail. We need to constantly be assessing how the students are uh, learning what we're trying to, to teach them. Excellent. So the next time we talk, we will be talking about chapter three Mm -hmm. and tasks and ways to guide learning that it's meaningful. And in particular, and I really like this section, exercise versus problem. When we're talking about math, you know, you have your math exercises, you have your math problems. We use those interchangeably, but they're really quite different. Mm -hmm. And so it will be interesting to discuss that with you, Emily, and We hope that our listeners will share their feedback with us, either through email, through the Padlet, uh, through the survey questions for this chapter. These are not, you know, we've been talking about assessment. This is not to assess how well you listened to us or how well you read, (laughs) but we're past all that, friends. Instead, we're asking you to, in these questions, we like the questions that they came up with. They're reflective and you can do as much or as little of this as you want to. Uh, We hope that you will share your thoughts so we can uh, begin to highlight some of that so that we are addressing things that you find interesting and that you want to hear more about. Beautifully stated, Mary. Very good. Well, thanks, everybody. We look forward to talking to you next time. All right.